0: are singing about how great God is and the skies are shouting it out see what God has made day after day night after night they are speaking to us God wrote I love you he wrote it in the sky and on the earth and under the sea he wrote his message everywhere because God created everything in his world to reflect him just like a mirror to show us what he is like to help us know him personally and to make our hearts sing the way kittens chase their tails, the way red poppies grow wild, the way a dolphin swims. And God put it all into words, too. And he wrote it in a book called the Bible. Now, some people think the Bible is a book of rules telling you what you should and shouldn't do. The Bible certainly does have some rules in it. They show you how life works best. But the Bible isn't mainly about you and what you should be doing. Instead, it's about God and what he has done. Other people think the Bible is a book of heroes showing you people that you should perhaps copy. Well, the Bible does have some heroes in it, but as you'll soon find out, most of the people in the Bible aren't really heroes at all. They make some big mistakes, sometimes on purpose. They get afraid and they run away, and at times they are downright mean. No, the Bible isn't a book of rules or a book of heroes. The Bible is mostly a story. It's an adventure story about a young hero who comes from a faraway country to win back his lost treasure. It's a love story about a brave prince who leaves his palace, his very throne, everything, in order to rescue the one he loves. It's like the most wonderful of fairy tales that has come true in real life. You see, the best thing about the story is that it's true. There are lots of stories in the Bible, but all the stories are telling one big story. The story of how God loved his children and comes to rescue them. Isn't that a great opening to help us better understand what the purpose of the Bible is and why it's still relevant to us today? Well, let's take a moment and pray and just invite God into this experiential moment where not only are we hearing a lesson and learning about scripture and better understanding who god is so that we might know something about him and something about ourselves but more importantly that we might encounter the living being who created us who has a life in store for us that is far greater than anything you and i could ever imagine who wants to make us whole and healthy and full of life let's go to him in prayer right now lord jesus as we gather here this morning we just thank you for the opportunity that lays before us. An opportunity not only to hear a message, but to learn about your scriptures that we might dig deep into the character and nature of who you are. That we might learn what it is to reflect you here on this earth, just like the scripture said in that book, to be a mirror. And Lord, I ask that you would come now and fill our minds and our hearts with an awakenedness to hear what you have to say to each one of us. Father, come now and fill this space with your presence. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, for those of you that have been joining us week after week, we are still working our way through 1 John, which is just an incredible letter full of so many wonderful truths. And if you didn't have a chance to see last week's sermon, you can go to our website, churchinthemall.com, or you can go to uh, podcasts on Apple. And I think there's a few other places that our website will mention, but you can click on those and you can hear them or you can watch the video. it's a great way to kind of stay in the loop because John is going to continue themes and ideas and messages that will build on each other. And so I don't want you to miss out. So if you have an opportunity, I I encourage you to do that this week. But for those of you, we'll do a quick recap of last week because last week has to tie into what John is talking about this week. And I don't want us to miss the way these two intersect. So let's begin with this. How do we know the difference between what is good and what is the absence of good, which is evil? And last week, we talked about that, that God is light. And when the light comes into the darkness, the darkness flees and it has to move away. It it disappears. In fact, darkness really is simply just the absence of God or good. And so we talked all about these different things that, that are the different aspects of what are good and what are bad, what is light, what is dark, and we'll get to that in just a second. It's important to note, though, that our Creator doesn't want us to struggle nor fail, so He's provided us with the ability to not only know Him personally, but also to know His heart and His will, and that's why the Scriptures become so important. So that when somebody walks around saying, oh, well, I think God is this way, we have something to measure it with and say, well, wait a minute, that either aligns or doesn't align with the character and nature in the Scriptures of who God is. And so as we read the Scriptures, we get not only a better understanding of who God is, but who we are to emulate and how to live life in the fullest here on earth. We call this revelation. God invites us into existence. He then invites us into a relationship through His Son, Jesus. He invites us into knowing His heart and His will and to allow the Holy Spirit to come and live within us. And I love the Scripture terminology because it says the Holy Spirit then comes in tabernacles with us or takes up a dwelling inside of us so that now God is not only just a thought or an image, but He has become connected to who and what we are as His creation and we can intercede and interconnect with him all throughout our lives. Now, this was the image that we showed you last week, and it just points out a few things, but if you look at this picture on the left, you'll see the light, and on the right, you'll see the darkness. And what's interesting is you'll see the opposites. And this is what Scripture talks about when it talks about good and evil. Good is being in the presence of God and everything that God is. He's life. He's love truth, hope, purity, eternal life, good, and then we looked that if we were to remove God out of those things, we get the opposite, darkness, falsehood, hate, hopelessness, impurity, death, and evil. And so John is going to encourage his readers to walk in the light or to be in the light, not in the darkness. And what's so powerful is that the scriptures begin to show us what the difference is so that we're not just blindly walking around, but that we know where the light is and where the darkness is. So that we now have an educated choice to make do we stay and walk in the light or do we walk in the darkness but the point is we're now aware and so John is going to encourage us to walk in the light for our God is in the light once God has revealed himself his heart and his will to us sin no longer is simply breaking a rule or violating a law sin has become personal and therefore threatens to break down the relationship between us and God so it's important to look at this that if I'm living in darkness that's the absence of god and so the problem is if god's not there guess what i'm not living in the will of god and if i'm living in that darkness then i'm missing out on all the things that are life-giving and the things that want to perpetuate me into something better in this world and so this is really important and john's going to hit hard on this so that we don't miss the point how do we fix this relationship that has been damaged Now, whether you know it or not, we are born into the sin nature as human beings. And for anyone that's had a child, you know that they come predisposed to doing things that aren't always good. In fact, we probably notice it in our own lives as adults that there are things we do that aren't always good. Paul even says it himself, I do the things I hate, and I wish I could just do the things I love. And the idea here is that, yes, we still make mistakes because our human nature is something that needs to be fixed or repaired because it's damaged, and this is where God steps in. Repentance recognizes the broken relationship and seeks to restore it by turning from our own will back to God's will. This makes room for God's forgiveness to begin changing our hearts and our lives. See, by introducing Christ to our lives, we then introduce him to our community and the people around us, and all of a sudden, the entire world can become changed and that we can see a better reflection of the image of God in ourselves and in others, and we begin to experience life in the fullest here on earth as it will be in heaven. And so this is very intentional that John is writing these things because he wants to remind us of not only how to have a healed relationship with God, but how to recognize this in our own life so that we don't live in the darkness so that you and I can live in the light. This is the message we've heard from him and and declare to you that God is light, and in him there is no darkness at all. And so it would be contrary for us to live in the darkness and expect God to be there or to honor us in that. We must join God in the light. Now, this is the part that I I was blown away with years ago when I I first studied this and kind of understood it in a new way. And if you think back to the very beginning, uh, God reveals himself to Abraham. Abraham becomes the father of the Jewish nation. And to Abraham, he gives a promise. I'll be your God, and you, Abraham, will become my people. Meaning not only you, but your ancestors from generations to generations to generations will come to know me as God and creator. And then he has Abraham fall asleep. And Abraham has this vision where he's looking at God, and God is doing this amazing thing where he's showing up in a vision of a pot that is just sort of hovering there. And as the pot is staying adjacent from Abraham, all of a sudden an animal in front is torn in two and laid in two parts. It sounds gruesome, doesn't it? But what's happening here in Abraham's mind is that he is watching a covenant being formed in front of him. You see, a king would come to somebody lower than him, and he would say, here, let's make an agreement. And in that agreement, let's make it a covenant, which will be a binding issue, not so much just a contract. But in other words, what happens in our agreement if you don't fulfill it then may what happened to this animal that's been torn in two happen to you and a king being full of power and authority could do that to somebody lesser and that person is stuck and so as abraham is watching this thing unfold you can imagine he's nervous going who is this god and what is he asking me and subjecting me to but then god does something that only god can do and we see this character and nature unfold not only in this scene of the Bible, but through the entire story, Genesis to Revelation. You see, instead of making Abraham walk through the animal, saying, Abraham, I'm going to become your God. You're going to become my people. If you fail in this, then what happened to this animal is going to happen to you. No, God says, Abraham, stay there. I'm going to walk between the animal. I am going to be the Lord your God. You're going to be my people. And if you fail, then may what happened to this animal happened to me and at the very beginning we see god's plan beginning to unfold that god has always designed a way to return his children back home to him that's why later in the new testament jesus will tell a marvelous story about the prodigal son it's really a terrible misnamed story it should be the amazing father because as the prodigal son has left his dad and been very grossly abusive to his father he goes and spends his dad's money far away, runs out of money and decides it's time to come home. As he comes home, he finds a father who has been watching the horizon all this time, waiting for his son to come home. And as the sun crests the very top of the horizon, the father sees his image and he knows that that's his son. And he hikes up his robes and he sprints after his son. Again, this is an image of how much God loves you and I we are his treasure but the other thing we have to keep in context or even intention is the reality that god isn't simply love he's also just and he's holy and pure and somehow these things all correlate together they're not just single parts it's a hundred percent of all those things all the time and so we have a god who cannot be darkness if he's light We have a God who cannot be impure if he's pure. We have a God who cannot be untruthful if he is truth. And we have a God who cannot be hopeless if he in fact is hope. And so the idea here is that if we want to live in what is really true and real, then we need to recognize where that comes from in the character and nature of God and we need to align ourselves with it. We need to accept this reality that God has provided a way for you and I to come back to him through Jesus Christ. And that there is no sin or damaging of the relationship that could ever stop his love from loving us. And so he reaches out and he grabs hold of our hearts and our minds. Not forcefully, but with this incredible invitation saying, I love you. Now come and be a part of me and my family. I'll be your God. You'll be my people. If we claim to have fellowship with him, that's God, and yet we walk in the darkness, we lie and do not live out the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus, his son, purifies us from all sin. This idea of being in the light means that you and I can point out when we're in the darkness, and we don't have to be ashamed of it. We can actually go to God and to one another and say, boy, you know, the other day I, I made this comment or, or I acted in this way or I thought this thought that really is more dark than light. And I'm really sorry for it. That, that's the repentant piece. And, and I want to turn from that. And so first I want to apologize and then I want to try to make it right. And so now we're enacting in repentance. We're not just saying it. We're doing it. Now, in our house, our, our children uh, don't always get along, Right? And um, I love when my wife will say, all right, you guys need to sit down. You need to say you're sorry. And if you ever watch it unfold, it's hard not to laugh. I have to go in the other room because they'll go, sorry. Well, you're not really sorry. You're just appeasing mom. And so this isn't lip service. This is an action. So this is, hey, I am so sorry that I hurt your feelings. Uh, I'm really sorry that I did this action that, that has somehow severed or broken or corrupted our relationship, and I really want to make it right. Is there anything I can do to make this right because I I care about you, and I want to be in this relationship with you? Man, when we get to that point, guess what? We make room in our hearts for God to do what God does best, which is to bring healing, wholeness, and hope. And all of a sudden, relationships can not only be restored, but they're strengthened. So that when we go through those turbulent times, you and I have something to hold on to that allows us to better pass through those times. So I love what John is saying here. He's saying, look, we're having fellowship with God and with one another, and it's important that we understand these concepts. But if we claim to be without sin, meaning there's no fault in me, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, God is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. If we claim we've not sinned, we make him out to be a liar and his word is not in us. So you can stand in the dark and pretend to be in the light, but it's pretty obvious that you're in the dark. And vice versa, if you're in the light, it's pretty obvious that you're in the light and we can see that there's no darkness in you. And so John is using these interesting metaphors and, and they almost seem childish, but you know what, sometimes we have to come to God with a childlike heart. And he's making sense out of some really challenging things that are facing this community that are still true today in our everyday communities. I love what he says here. My dear children, I write this to you so that you will not sin or break the relationship with God or each other. But if anyone does sin, he has an advocate with the Father. That person is Jesus Christ, the righteous one. He's the atoning sacrifice. That means restoring the relationship between God and humanity. Remember the pot going through the animal with Abraham? It's God saying, I'm going to send my very own son to restore and heal what was broken. Your job is to accept it and to step into it. So here we are for our sins and not for only ours, but also for now the sins of the whole world. Now we're seeing how God is able to not only heal one person, but to heal a relationship to people and to begin healing a community and a village and a town and a city and a state and a country. A world. That brings us to today. How do you know with certainty if you have a true relationship with God? Now, I know that you watch the news, or, or at least you've heard stories, or you've seen people that claim to be Christians, or claim to be true worshipers of God, but boy, they do awful things. And it makes us question, you know, how do we know with certainty if they have a true relationship with God? Or maybe you've looked at your own life and said, how do I know with certainty that I have a relationship with God and if something were to happen in my life, I would have that rock to stand upon or that eternal life to hold on to? And so we're left pondering those questions and John doesn't want us to ponder those. He wants to answer them. We know that we have come to know Him, that's God, If we keep his commands, whoever says, I know him, but does not do what he commands, well, that person is a liar, but does not do what he commands, I'm sorry, and the truth is not in that person. But if anyone obeys his word, that's love, which in Greek is agape, we're going to get to more on that in just a minute. For God is truly made complete in them. This is how we know or recognize that we are in him. Whoever claims to live in him must live as Jesus did. So this is why when you and I see other people stand up and say, oh, you know what, I love God, and yeah, I know, I'm cheating on my wife, yeah, I cheat on my taxes, I don't take care of my kids, I really don't care about anyone but myself, boy, I love Jesus. And we go, no, bro, you're in the dark. You missed it. Now, I'm not saying you can't know Jesus. I'm just saying what John is saying is that you're calling God a liar because God is not in those things. God is in the truth. God is in the purity, God is in the light. And so what I love about this idea here is that when we talk about keeping God's commands, we're talking about how to live our lives well. Now, I told you last week a story about my son. I'm going to tell you another one because he's, he's not here and I can get away with it. So I'm showing my son, you know, how to use different tools. And, uh, you know, sometimes I let him just do it and mess it all up uh, because it's just a great way to learn. Sometimes it's really expensive to do that, and so I tell him, this is how I want it done, and this is why. And like a typical 15-year-old boy, I got this, Dad, I know, I know, I know. Yeah, he's got zero experience, but he's got this. And sure enough, it gets goofed up. And I'll say, son, this is why, I know, Dad, I know, it. Son, this is why we do it a certain way. And God is doing the same thing with his commands. He's not trying to rob you of anything in this world. He's trying to give you something that's better. He doesn't want you to have to figure it out on your own, stumbling through the darkness, tripping over everything, making mistakes, costly mistakes. He wants to flat out show you this is how to live in the light. And so when we look at his commands, it's not just rules. It's not just expectations. It's here's how to have a life that's full. And then God allows us the opportunity to choose that or not. That's amazing to me. Because if I were God, I would say, hey, this is how it's going to be, buddy. Do it. But God doesn't. He says, look, this is the best way. This is the way I designed it. I made you for it. Now, I love you so much, I'm going to let you choose. And if you're like me, we probably get it right sometimes, but a lot of times I get it wrong. So I love what he says here. You know, we, we can't live in the darkness claiming light because that shows God to be a liar. It makes us a liar because God is in the light. All right, those Greek words, that agape, it's important that we pause for a minute and we kind of understand the meaning of these words. Now, here in America, English, we, we use the word love for all sorts of things. We go, oh, man, I love my wife. And we go, oh, okay, he loves his wife. Man, I love tacos. Oh, oh that's interesting. He loves tacos. I love my truck. Okay, I love my dog, you know, and it's all these funny words, and, and we can understand in our culture looking at what the noun is. Oh, well, we know he loves his wife, and, and he loves his tacos and he loves his truck, but he's probably not romantic with the tacos and truck because that's weird. So he's probably more romantic with his wife. So we can understand that. But in the Greek culture, they wanted everything to be crystal clear. And so they would use words like phileo, which means brotherly love. That means, hey, friend, hey, I love you, bro. They would use words like eros, which is the erotic love. Oh, this is my spouse, my wife, my husband. Storge, Storge, which is love between family members. And so when they would use these words, people knew exactly what they were talking about before they ever got to the noun. We would just know. But then there's a special word, agape. And it's not used as often, and it's really special. I want to show you why. It's because agape love, is, it's a little different from the other ones. It's not really a feeling, although there is some feeling involved in it, but that's not the sole purpose here. It's more of a motivation for action that we're free to choose or reject. Agape is a sacrificial love that voluntarily suffers inconvenience, discomfort, and even death for the benefit of another without expecting anything in return. This is how God loves you and me. Without expecting anything in return. Just think about it for a minute. If if I met my wife Tammy and I said, listen girl, you're going to love me or else it's not going to go well for you that's scary that's manipulation and that's not love and so if God were to do that to us can you imagine that would be scary manipulation not love so it's not do my commands or else it's these are my commands because I want to give you the very best look I already know you're going to mess this up and so I've already got a contingency plan. My son Jesus is going to restore that relationship, and I'm, I'm asking you to choose not to reject me, but to choose to step into the light with me. And so love, when it's given a choice, can mean something special. That's why when two people stand at the altar and they look at one another and they say, I choose you above everyone else to spend my life with. That's really a special vow, isn't it? because you can choose anything you want, but you're choosing that person. And then to say, I choose you in sickness and in health. I choose you for richer or for poorer. I choose you even when our children are going crazy. I choose you even when we haven't had a date night in over a year. I choose you. And so love is more than just a feeling. It becomes this incredible action of self-sacrifice knowing full well that you may not get back anything in return. And so when you see this word agape, you need to know that this is special and unique. So we're called to agape, love through Christ's example. And here's a great one Paul writes for us in Ephesians. He says, Therefore be imitators of God. Be beloved children and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. This is why the earliest Christians, the earliest followers of Jesus Christ were called Christians. That means little Christs. Because as they go about their lives and days, people say, man, you're different. Boy, you act kind of like that, that guy Jesus that was here telling us how to live our lives. And Boy, you, you do a lot like him. You're a little Jesus. What a compliment. That You actually are showing the image of God here on this earth. We're called to agapo, now it's a verb, God our neighbor, and even our enemies. Ooh, this is where it starts to get hard, right? Sure, it's easy to love God, and eh, neighbor's not too bad. That means somebody that I have some sort of relationship with. Usually it's friendly. Enemies, ooh, this is where it gets difficult. This is anybody that disagrees with you, maybe lives a different lifestyle than you, maybe chooses different things to enjoy in life than you do. Maybe they have different views and beliefs. You know, we all have these people in our lives, and we're supposed to agapo them love them without condition we're not to agapo though money darkness or others approval and the reason is because those things live in the darkness now john is saying this because he knows that this particular culture understands that it's hard to be a human being in this world it, it's so much easier to live our lives trying to please others and, and trying to find our own importance in in things or prestige or titles. And so John's saying, look, don't don't miss the mark here. Those things are all good, but they're not the end-all, be-all. Our goal is to love God, agape, and to love others, agape. And we do that because God first loved us, agape. And so we're going to imitate that love he gave us on others. He demonstrated it for you by giving his own son. Now you demonstrate it for others by giving your own life. Well, now the rubber is meeting the road. He continues, dear friends, I'm not writing you a new command, but really an old one, which you've had since the beginning. And he's right. From the very beginning, we've watched this unfold. Remember the story I just told you about Abraham. We have seen God show us and demonstrate over and over his love for us. And in doing that, he then says, now that you've seen it, It's your job to show others. The old command is the message that you've always heard. Yet I'm writing you a new command. Its truth is seen in him and in you because the darkness is passing and the true light is already shining. You see, before we walked in darkness, we didn't know the difference. So of course we're in the darkness. But now that we know the difference, we have a choice. You know, I remember when Tammy and I were first married and we were learning each other's uh, quirks and um, boy she's going to be mad about this but I'm going to do it anyway she would um, spit her toothpaste in the sink and not wash it down and I would lose my mind lose my mind and she would look at me like what's your problem and I would look at her going you're my problem Now, this is what's interesting. When I told her that it bothered me, that it just wasn't right, you know what she did? She said, boy, I'm sorry. I'll make sure I wash it down next time. I'm I'm sorry I did that. And now she washes it down, and and it's no big deal. You know, I I grew up where I always left the toilet seat up because it was just me. No big deal. And then she explained that in the middle of the night she comes into the bathroom in the dark and she would fall in And I said, oh my gosh, I'm so sorry. Let me put that down for you. And so now neither of us are are living in the dark. We both have been enlightened of what's a better way to live for the other person and so we can better agape each other because we now know these things. Now, do we have a choice? Sure, she can leave it in the sink and I can leave the seat up. Sometimes we do just to get back at each other. (laughs) But we don't have to. We've now been enlightened. And So in the same way John is saying, guys, you know the difference. Not only do the scriptures state it, God has demonstrated it, and now you have the Holy Spirit inside of you that resonates, and, and you know when you're in the dark and when you're in the light. So, so live in the light. It's already shining. God is already at work. So Again, I show you this image. All right, the hard work. This is where the rubber meets the road, right? Loving our enemies? Are you kidding me? Anyone who claims to be in the light but hates A brother or sister is still in the darkness. Oof. Let me read that again. Kevin, if you claim to be in the light, but you hate a brother or sister or a fellow person in this world, you're still in the darkness. Anyone who loves their brother and sister lives in the light, and there is nothing in them to make them stumble. But anyone who hates a brother or sister is in the darkness and walks around in the darkness. They do not know where they're going because the darkness has blinded them. Now, I know you have people in your life that claim to be in the light, but their hatred puts them in the darkness. I know that there are times and situations in my life where I think I'm in the light, but I'm really living in the darkness because I hate hate somebody else. John's saying this shouldn't be. Wait a minute. You've been forgiven everything through God's sacrificial son, Jesus Christ. And you're now going to hold that forgiveness back from someone else? That doesn't make sense. Man, that's dark. Come over to the light. Just like God forgives you, you have an opportunity to forgive someone else and bring healing and hope to their lives. Why wouldn't you do it? So now all of a sudden, John is is poking at a really hard part in our hearts, but he's showing us a very simple way to overcome it. I watched a a documentary a while ago, and it was uh, a lady in her late 90s, a Jewish lady. And she was standing before a man who was the man who abused her when she was in the internment camp. In Nazi Germany and when she told this man that she had forgiven him I watched the man crumble and he realized everything he had done was so evil he had come into the light and he now knew the difference and I watched this lady put her arm around him and she said you know I spent most of my life hating you but I found freedom and now I give it to you. You are forgiven. Do you see the power of how God wants to not only heal and bring wholeness, but to change our lives, our community's lives, the world? This is really powerful. So he continues, I'm writing to you, dear children, because your sins have been forgiven on the account of his name, Right? remember this. I'm writing to you, fathers, because you know him, the God who was from the very beginning. And I'm writing to you, young men, because you have overcome the evil one. You know this. This is nothing new. I write to you, dear children, because you know the Father, the Father in heaven. I write to you, Fathers, because you know Him who is from the very beginning. Remember how John opens the Gospel and the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God and the Word was God. And we talked last week about how Father God is speaking over the darkness of the earth and the Holy Spirit is hovering there and Jesus is forming it together and we watch creation explode and darkness flee. As the Bible opens with those famous words, let there be light. And this is before a sun or a moon or stars or anything has been created. The radiant glory of God goes forth. I write to you, young men, because you're strong and the word of God lives in you and you have overcome the evil one. Remember, I so important I said it twice. But warning, don't misuse your love by misplacing it. So now that John's saying you know this stuff, now let's look at some areas in, in our everyday lives where this... This can really get tricky. And I don't want you to misuse your love by misplacing it because then you're going to miss out on having a life of abundance. You're going to be in the dark, not the light. So let's get into it. Do not love the world. Now, the red love is agape. Do you remember agape? To love without condition, meaning that I love you not just in feeling but in action indeed, deed, willing to give of myself my own discomfort, maybe even my life expecting nothing in return. Do not love the world agape, that's worldly affairs or the way the world thinks or functions, or anything in the world. If anyone loves the world, love for the Father is not in them. So every one of those loves is agape. But that kind of agape is, is the love that God showed us and then we then reflect back to Him and we reflect to others. But if we put it on the worldly affairs, so this would be like politics, This would be uh, like how our culture might see things. This might be things that we struggle with and trying to understand. And and he's saying, look, don't don't misuse your love there. Put your love back on God and back on people. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in them because you can't be in the dark claiming to be in the light. You have to actually be in the light. For everything in this world, the lust, that's the passionate longings or desires of the flesh, the lust of the eyes and the pride of life, that's boastfulness and what you've done, your deeds, as if you are God, comes not from the Father, but from the world. And the world and its desires pass away, but whoever does the will of God lives forever. Now, don't misunderstand this. This isn't John saying, look, you know, if you blow it, you're out. God's going to take your little card and pull it, and you no longer are a card-carrying member. That's not what he's saying. But he's saying, look, if you're going to live in life, you have to be in the presence of the life giver. That's God. But if you're going to live in the darkness, then the absence of God is death. You're not going to have the experience of what eternal life is. You're not going to have the experience of all these wonderful things. You're going to live with this hatred that will rob you of a life that could be so much fuller. And worse, you're going to rob others. So here he is saying these powerful things. Choosing to love without condition is how we live in the light, but it comes as a cost. Now, I want to pause for a minute. I want to show you a 50-second video. This is a really interesting young man. He, I think he's Chinese, and uh, he's a public speaker around the world. And he's really fascinating to listen to but I want to show you what happens when he says something out loud and a group of people disagree. Now, he's not going to say anything that's offensive. He's not saying anything that, that's even dirty. Or, But boy, you can see quickly how we often are so afraid to say things out loud or act in certain ways because we're worried about what the world is going to say about our actions instead of what God is going to say.
1: I made a video saying that I enjoyed Joe Rogan's podcast. Immediately I lost 15,000 followers (laughs) and I got all these hate comments about, oh, you love guns. I was like, no, no, I like his podcast. It's "Oh, you, you're a right wing. I'm like, I don't even understand American politics. I just like his podcast. And then one of my clients reached out and said, Vin, take that video down. We can't be seen to be working with someone like you uh, if you're posting this content, especially on LinkedIn. We take it down. I was like, I think it's easier for us not to work together. You're changing who I am. You're making me lie to everyone to pretend to be something that I'm absolutely not. And I see this all the time. People are so afraid of what other people think that they will do whatever other people want and those people don't care about you and they'll forget about you anyway. If you try to please everyone, you will end up pleasing no one. The person willing to state the truth and be themselves, very powerful. Or was the person that allows every other person to dictate what they do, does not have power. Interesting, isn't it?
0: You might be hard to hear sometimes because he's so fast but but what he's saying is he he just simply liked this other podcaster he's like oh th- that guy's interesting he, he does some cool things his name's joe rogan and all of a sudden people that follow him said oh i don't like that joe rogan he, he's a right winger he likes guns so you must like those things he goes well wait a minute i i didn't say that i i just thought he did a great job interviewing this guy w- we do the same thing in this world do you notice I mean, heaven forbid you were to say you're a Republican or a Democrat and people all of a sudden assume things about you. Heaven forbid if we were to say, boy, you know, I, I, I don't know if it's, if it's right to take away women's rights and abortion, or, or maybe I do think it's right. And all of a sudden we're afraid to say things out loud because we think the repercussions of the world around us are, are going to be severe, and sometimes they are. Just by liking that other podcaster, he lost 15,000 viewers that were mad at him. And and I love the line where they said, you're a right-winger. He's like, brother, I'm not even American. I don't even know what that means. But we're so quick to judge because that is how our world works. You either side with me or you're against me. Now, that's not how the kingdom of God works. What God is saying is, listen, don't let the world fool you. They're in the dark. They only know the dark those of you that know the light know the difference. So you have an opportunity. So I love this. People are so afraid of what other people think that they will do whatever other people want and those people don't care about you and they will forget about you anyway. Have you ever compromised yourself either in a thought or an idea or or in a conversation and then you realize that that person really could care less about you and what you think? And then, man, you feel like used up worthless I just compromise myself for nothing and and that's exactly what John's pointing out. he's like why compromise yourself get out of the dark and come into the light if you try to please everyone you end up pleasing no one that's why Jesus says look you you have really one job and that's to love the Lord your God who loves you And, and it's really an easy one because you already know how much he loves you You're not trying to earn his love. You're not trying to manipulate him. You're simply accepting what is already true, that God loves you for who you are, warts and all. Now, will he allow us to stand in the dark? No, because once God comes into our lives and we're revealed into what is light and what is dark, we don't want to be in the dark. We can't help but move into the light. That's why those old things begin to fall away. We talked about that last week when Paul says, I take off the old self, put on the new. John ends his section with these words. He says, the world and its desires will pass away, but whoever does the will of God lives forever. That lives forever isn't simply like the promise of eternal life, although that is a piece of it. But he's talking about what is true, and truth always stands falsehood has nothing in which it can stand with, so it has to disintegrate and fall away. So why would we want to be people of the darkness and falsehood when we could be people of the light and truth? Now that we know that we have this incredible access to God through Jesus Christ, and we've accepted that, why wouldn't we want to offer that kind of forgiveness to others? Why wouldn't we want to demonstrate that in our own lives? I'm going to give you a story. A few years ago, I was invited to a wedding uh, of a family member. And a group of guys, you know, they want to go out bachelor party. And uh, what they want to do is they want to go out to dinner, then they want to get absolutely hammered, and then they want to go to the strip club. And So I said, guys, I would love to join you for dinner, and I'll come and I'll have one drink with you. But then I, I'm going to have to go home because I'm, I'm not into getting plastered. And I'm, I'm not into looking at the naked girls. And uh, they looked at me like, "What's wrong with you?" And I actually heard one of them elbow the guy next to me and goes, "Oh, he's probably gay." It's a true story. And I said, a- actually, I said, I- "I'm happily married. I'm a Christian. And you know what really makes this awful? I'm a pastor, too and they kind of with big eyes looked at me and I said what would you think if you came to the church I pastor at on Sunday morning knowing that Saturday night I was boozing my head off and going to the strip clubs and you know what one of them said he goes you're right you know that guy decided not to go out that night I never asked him not to go out I just said this is what I'm going to do by the end of, you know, I said we do dinner and one drink. By the end of that, there were seven of us that went out and left the rest of the group. I'm not talking about manipulating people, right? This isn't about Christianity, you take my views and you better or else die. That's not what this is about. This is just simply saying, look, I, I, I've seen the light. I want to be in the light. I don't want to be in the darkness. And, and if you want to join me in the light, there's lots of room. But if you don't, it's okay. I still love you. I still went to the wedding on Sunday. I still you know, celebrated the bride and the groom, and I looked at all those guys, some a little more hungover than others, and I didn't beat them up or judge them. But I did know I made the right decision. See, that's the power you and I have about walking in the light not only does it end up giving us a life that's fuller, but it ends up allowing others to see just how incredible our God is. That the Bible really is a story about God's love for you and for me and the entire world.